Well, you can be seated. Welcome again, everybody. So in 1791, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart started working on his final piece, the Requiem. I don't know if you've heard it, it's famous. It's like the, one of the, the most famous seminal pieces in all of Western civilization. Um, as far as like sacred music goes, it is like one of the top. It is the most powerful and sweeping and emotionally, um, in, what's it called? It actually changes how you feel music ever. I listen to this thing like twice all week long. So listen, I'm gonna be quiet for just a minute. Just listen and then we'll talk about it in a second. minutes, an hour, right? I mean, I did not do a good job studying my sermon because I would just be like, oh, listen to more. What part? What's incredible about this though is Mozart didn't write it. He wrote the very first part. He wrote the very first part of this incredible masterpiece. And as he was writing it, he was getting sick and slowly dying. And in December of uh, 1791, he actually died. And his apprentice, uh, what's his name? Franz uh, Susemeyer, however you pronounce his name, his apprentice takes this music, takes his notes, looks at it and says, oh my goodness, this is incredible. This is world-changing incredible. And they could have put it together and in honor of Mozart, wrapped up in a little five-minute version of this and wasn't that great. But instead, as his apprentice, he takes on the mantle of Mozart and he completes the Requiem this giant piece of work, this giant and most incredible piece of work that historians and musical um, music historians have said, this is the seminal work. And what's crazy is the guy who wrote most of it, none of us have ever heard of. It's Mozart's dream. And this nobody, this apprentice came along after and wrote the piece of work and now we have this incredible piece of music. And I, as I was listening this, to this music and I was l- learning more about the story, I just became so inspired because that really is what Hebrews 11 is all about. Hebrews 11 is that God has set forth in motion this incredible story. I mean, this incredible story, this world-changing story of his coming kingdom that's going to usher in God's goodness and grace. He set apart the story and then he led it to his people to finish it. And one by one, people took the mantle. They took the the parchment of this beautiful music. They looked at it. They saw what came before and they added their piece by faith to craft the most incredible story the world has ever known. And that's what we're doing. Like we are here in church this morning because for 5,000 years, faithful people, generation after generation, have taken their turn on the parchment have added their part of the symphony. And now it is our turn to do the same. And what's crazy is we live in this tension, like I said earlier, that we get to do our part. We bring our best work. But at the end of the day, this is God's story, right? This is Mozart's Requiem, even though he didn't write a big chunk of it. This is God's story 
our part. And so we get to spend all summer listening and wrestling and looking at these heroes of faith who faithfully were, did their part of the story for us to go, man, now what do we do in this time and in this place? And we're going to begin in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start at the beginning, beginning of verse 1, and we're going to get to the very first guy, Abel. And I always get him and Cain, but now um, get, get him confused. But Mark's going to help me not get them confused. And if I do, then I owe him 10 bucks. Okay, so here we go. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Now faith is a confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. And so what is seen and was not, sorry, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then begins to say, by faith, Abel. By faith, Abel brought, a, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, and then, and by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. And Abel, he's number four in the Bible. He's the fourth human being that we know about. And his story is very brief. He has this offering of faith. And it was crazy as the author of Hebrews is like, oh my goodness, but his faith was so incredible that it speaks even now, right? 5,000 years later, we're still like, man, look at this Abel guy. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look at why was Abel so awesome. So here we are. Let's let's turn our Bibles to Genesis Genesis chapter 3. It's the very first book in the whole Bible, so that's easy to find. Sorry, and we're going to Genesis chapter 4. So Genesis, first book of the Bible, big chapter 4. And the NIV, listen to the romantics of the NIV. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Just makes you want to keep reading. But it turns out that's the only sassy part. Okay. Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Right? Adam and Eve, first two kids, Cain, Abel. Abel kept flocks. Cain worked the soil. So two brothers, two parts of the industry, one person doing agriculture, one person uh, in the flocks with animals. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions, for some of the firstborn of his flock. Right? And so there's this thing with, with, with humans, right? right? We're made to worship. Every human society, everywhere in the world, humans are drawn to worship God. We're, we're compelled to bring offerings. We're compelled to just worship God in some expression. And offering is the way that you go anywhere in the world, right? There's little temples and there's little like little foods and little like trinkets. Like it's, it's a thing. It's in us. God made us to worship. The very uh, two next humans, Cain and Abel, at this time, they, they realize it's time for us to worship. It's time for us to bring our offerings to God. And Cain brings the fruit of the field. Cain brings, I mean, Abel brings the fruit of his, of his livestock, right? So one person brings uh, fruits and vegetables. One person brings an animal sacrifice. So the Lord looked with favor on Abel at his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So Abel, good guy, Cain, bad guy. God says, good job, Abel, Cain, not so good. And then God coaches up Cain, right? So the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you for, you, for you must rule over it. 
So here it is. God says, Abel, good job. Cain, not so good. But Cain, think about this. And as a good Christian, Cain's like, gosh, God, thank you so much for helping me. Actually, that's not what happens. Well, this is what happens. So now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go for a walk in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and then killed him. Oh, what an awesome story. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You love God. You bring your best offering. You worship God the best way. Your brother is a chump. He misses out and freaks out and kills you. That's the whole story. That's the whole story. And yet he is the very first person that the author of Hebrews is like, look at this guy, Abel. If you want to know what faith looks like, if you want to do your part of carrying on the family trajectory of this faith story, Abel's the guy. Look at his faith. And so that's where we look at this morning. What in the world did Abel do for his faith? Well, we know he brought this offering. And it was so fun doing these, this study and looking at different scholars and, and, and all these scholars, right? This is ancient document. It's written in poetry. And so people are trying to figure out what is happening here. Why would God say uh, Abel's offering is good and Cain's offering is bad? And so there's a couple different th- reasons that they came up with. One is they think, well, maybe it was the type, right? Abel offered part of an animal, an animal sacrifice. Cain offered vegetables and God hates vegetables, obviously. That's what we learned. Um, and so, so maybe there's like, oh, there's a type, like God w- requires a certain type of offering. And you see in Leviticus, right? God actually does clarify, no, it is an animal sacrifice. Animal sacrifice for however God created humans, however he set the system up, it's this blood sacrifice that covers our sin, that makes us in right relationship with God. And when we bring our, when we bring our offering to God, it, 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 there's this moment that kind of restores relationship with us and God. Now, we don't do that anymore, and we don't do that anymore because as Christians and as Christianity impacted Western civilization, Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God. His sacrifice was the sacrifice that appeased God, that made a way for us to be in right relationship with him. So what is the type? Well, Christians for, for a long time now said, well, the type of offering is kind of threefold. And we talked about this last year, right? It's our talent, and it's our treasure, and it's our time. Like, like, like we now give our being that's how we give our offering. We give our being to God. That's the type of offering. So one is a type. The other is the quality. And if you read, it says that he gave the, the, the fatty portions. And uh, what's so interesting about ancient um, sacrifice is you would have an animal, you'd sacrifice it, and then you would take the best parts, the fatty portions. The fatty portions, they were burned and they smelt nice. It was the best part of the animal. And you would say, see, God, I love you. I love you so much. I'm going to give you my best portion. The best cut of meat is actually for you, God, right? When you have friends over and you have a whole, you know, it's like Thanksgiving, and the chicken is all spread out. You make sure the, the, the guest of honor gets first pick of what the part of the chicken they like or the turkey, right? So it's the quality that matters. And, um, and so I think what's fascinating is that God is inviting us to think, gosh, it's not just what it is, but it's also the quality that matters. So Abel's quality, he was like, yep, that was the best part. Cain, not so much. Here's what's wild too to think about. This is just a little side note. In the ancient world, when we would all go and bring our offerings to God, we would all stand in line with our offering. Like we have a little basket, it's a little secret what we do. But in the ancient world, you'd walk forward and you'd be like, you're bringing that? I mean, like, is that wild? Like, Everyone looked around and you were judged by what you brought to God. Like your offering was for the world to see. What a weird thing. And so it's another way that we, our life is just hidden and that's going to make sense and matter in a minute. And so, 
But the New Testament says that we offer everything to the Lord. Whatever we do, we do unto the Lord. So the kind of offering that if we're going to be like Abel is, right, we bring our best to our time, treasure, and talents. We bring our best. What else do we do? We, um, we bring our quality. We, we, sorry, we bring our quality. And then the third is, um, oh my goodness, now I'm going to forget what the third is. Bruce, do you remember what it is? No. Give me a second. Oh yeah, duh. It's his attitude. The main part. Abel said he brought his offering in faith, right? He came in faith. And here's what's wild about the New Testament. It, because you could do everything right. You could bring the best portion of meat. You could bring it to the front of the line. And if you just do it because of some weird legalistic thing, God's like, that doesn't matter. Because the, the secret sauce is by faith. By faith, God, this is what I offer you because I love you and I worship you. It's not because you're trying to check some box or do something or make sure someone's impressed. Like all of that, almost like it, it, it throws away um, what you're doing. So it not only has to be, um, not only what it is, but also has to be good quality. And then it has to be by faith. And Abel did all those things. One of the scholars I looked at, boys, the Jewish scholars did not like Cain. They said that Cain actually got in trouble because it was premeditated. It wasn't out of ignorance. It wasn't like he tried to do well and God's like, hey, you screwed up. The, the Jewish scholars like, no, he knew exactly what the offering was. And then in rebellion, didn't do it. I was like, boy, that's not very nice. But hey, they're Jewish scholars. But either way, that's the situation. That's what's happening. You have Cain who brought the, and then Cain brought his offering and God did not accept it. And so what I think is fascinating is as I was reading the story and in my heart, gosh, don't you want to be able? Don't you want to be the person who just goes, God, I love you so much. And before the scriptures were even written, you just like, I love you so much. I got to find some way to express my love for you. So I'm just bringing the best of whatever I have. And here I go and just lay it out. Like, I love that about Abel out of faith. That is what he did. But as I was studying all week, you know me, I'm like, gosh, but I'm Cain. In my guts, I am Cain. Here's my offering. I'm happy to do my part. And here's what's brutal. When God confronts Cain, because God coaches up Cain, and Cain, instead of going, oh my goodness, God, I had no idea. I didn't know about that, or I'm so sorry. What does he do? He freaks out. He freaks out and murders his brother. And you're like, what a dirtball. Who would ever do that? But I was thinking about this and I'm going to say me, but I really mean us. Like, let's be honest. When was the last time that you were confronted and you were wrong and you knew it? I'm not going to lie. I had to go back far because I don't know about if you're like me, but when I think about my life, I can justify everything, every action, every word, everything, every way I've hurt somebody, I can justify like that because that wasn't my intention. I'm not malicious. I didn't like, we just justify everything. So there's no way. So immediately we justify it. We back ourselves out. We never really have to get confronted. No one ever tells us we're wrong. And then when they do, oh, we get so mad. If you tell me I'm wrong, especially if it's something you didn't even know about, you flip out. I flip out. We flip out. And let's be honest, we murder people. And because we're Marine Covenant people, we don't murder them with our actions, but with our mouths, right? All of a sudden, we have to tell the whole world what so-and-so did and how could so-and-so blah, blah, blah. And, like, and the gossip train takes off because we're murderers, because we don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. We want our kind of like token offering to be just fine. But if we're going to actually stand before God and say, God, we actually want to be people like Abel. We want to bring our whole offering. Here is everything and if we're going to be open and say, okay, God, now 
search me, test me, know me. Anything that you need to do in me? And he's like, well, actually, right? Here's an opportunity for a whole other offering. And so because not all of us can be able, even though that's what we're aiming towards, I think Cain missed out on a whole other offering that I want to talk about for a minute. And, uh, but I want to go back to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, I think is it. There's this incredible story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, where the prophet Nathan has this encounter with King David. Now, King David, it's funny, for, forever and ever, he was like lifted up as like the man, right? Man after God's own heart. He was the, the, the most esteemed king in Israel. And I'm happened to be right in David's story uh, in my Bible reading plan. And I'm like, this guy does not translate to the 21st century. So that's for a whole different sermon. But I'm just going to give you a quick sideline, uh, a quick highlight of his story. So David killed Goliath. That part was great. He's king, all this stuff happens. Well, one day um, he's outside and he looks down um, and there's a, a woman bathing. Now, how that all works in the ancient world, I don't totally get. That's besides the point. We can have a coffee later, but this is the basic gist. He sees this woman. She's beautiful because she's naked. He's the king. He says, come to my house. And then they have sex together. Well, then she gets pregnant. So David just making mistake after mistake, right? So he gets this woman, gets her pregnant. And then because he's like us trying to cover his tracks, he's like, get her husband home ASAP and get him drunk. And so they sleep together. Well, her husband's this noble guy. He's like, uh, I'm not going to sleep with my wife. I'm a soldier and my soul, my men are out there. And, and so he doesn't, for like three days, David's trying to get him to his Bathsheba's husband, uh, Uriah, to sleep with him. He's trying, trying, and he's not going to do it. So then David, again, trying to cover his tracks. Like when you find out, when you're scrambling, right, you start doing the stupidest things. Like this we can relate to. You just scramble. You, you, you just you basically black out, right? You're just like, whatever it's going to take. So, um, so basically, Uriah, David writes a note, gives it to Uriah. Uriah goes back to the front, gives it to the commander, and the commander looks at the note, and the note says, hey, in the next battle, when we're all getting after it, Everyone step back from Uriah. And they do. And David has Uriah killed and brings Bathsheba into his, into his uh, chambers, into his house. Dirt ball. Like I know there's parts of it as a man after God's own heart, but that, that doesn't translate well, right? And what's, what's fascinating is even back in the biblical times, it didn't translate well. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan shows up into, um, into David's chamber and says, hey, David, I have a story to tell you. There's these two men. One man has thousands of sheep. He's wealthy and has thousands of sheep. And this other man, he's poor and he only has one lamb. And that lamb is part of their family. They feed it from the table. They've named it. It's their pet. It's part of their family. There's these two men. Well, some visitors come into town to the wealthy man's house and he wants to entertain them. But instead of taking one of his thousands of sheep, he goes over to the poor man's house, takes his lamb, slaughters it and serves it to his friend. And David, oh, he gets so mad, right? So filled with justice, so filled with like, that person deserves to die. That person's going to the woodshed. I'm gonna use all my leverage as the king to show, to show that guy what's up. And Nathan, oh my goodness, Nathan. What does he say? He says, you are that man. You are that man. And if David was like Cain, he would have had Nathan beheaded, right? And he could have had Nathan beheaded. But one of David's uh, incredible qualities is when Nathan said, you are that man, he said, oh my goodness, I am that man. And he is laid bare between Nathan and before the Lord and now has an opportunity to make right. And here's what I love. You have the, the sacrifice of Abel, 
But then David lets us know that there's actually another sacrifice available to us. So in, in Psalm chapter 51, this is, so this is like a prayer that David wrote down. Like, like if you went to his journal the day after this all went down, this is like his prayer journal. And this is part of what he prayed. He says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach your transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my God and my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. I love that prayer. And as someone who just like is always wrestling with my demons, I just think it is such an incredible gift. What an incredible picture that when God lays us bare and our reaction is to be Cain and our reaction is to freak out and just murder, there is another way to say, oh my goodness, you are so right, God. You are so right. I'm so broken. I'm so rebellious. I'm so stupid. I cannot believe whatever your story, whatever it is, right? And I love that David gives us a path forward because David is the king. He could, have, he could have slaughtered a thousand cows. Here's my offering, Lord. But God doesn't care about that. He wanted David's heart. Because at the end of the day, what Abel had, what David had was their heart towards God. One out of full, genuine love and faith. One out of just sheer brokenness. But both versions had a heart towards God. And so I think for us, when we think about what is our What's, what's kind of our little thing that we can take from Abel this morning? We think about we want to be the kind of people that Abel modeled. Then we want to be the kind of people that bring our offerings to God. We bring our best offering to God. The best of what we got. The best of who we are. And we do it out of faith, trusting that what we do matters. It matters to God and it matters to the kingdom. And if our life is in chaos or if we get confronted by something or we are just a hot mess, well, instead of faking it, instead of bringing our fake offerings and thinking that we're just good religious people, we have this other path. We get this other offering of a broken and contrite spirit. And I don't know about you, because we live in a moment where no one ever apologizes, no one ever asks for forgiveness, no one ever makes things right. So we're out of practice. But if you've ever had anyone genuinely, humbly, with contrition, apologize for a way they've wronged you, it's a spiritual thing. Like reconciliation begins to happen. It is a wild thing. It's just heartbreaking that it doesn't happen the way it does. But that happens because we're made in the image of God. And so I share that with you because I think I want good news for all of us. If you're crushing in your walk with the God, then keep crushing it. If you're not crushing it, man, then own it. Either way, God wants our entire heart. I always wrap this up. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. I mentioned this earlier. All of these people, Abel, Abel was still living by faith when he died. He lived just long enough to offer his offering to God and then be murdered by his brother. Not the story we want. But he was still living by faith when he died. He did not receive the things that were promised. He only saw them and welcomed them from the distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And I love that. It's an inspiring to me because I want us to be people who own our moment 
um, of the story well. Our time with the baton, like this is our time with the baton and it is up to us to do it well. I love last Sunday, we had all those little kids here going from preschool to kindergarten, from fifth grade to middle school, from high schoolers to, you know, moving on into the big bad world. And they get to be part of a church that has some incredibly wise older saints who've experienced some of the most horrific things the world has to offer. And we get to do life together to remind ourselves week in and week out that we serve an incredible God who is good and faithful in his story. Maybe not our personal story. That's so hard. But in his story, he is good and faithful and right. And he longs for you and I to do our part. So Abel still speaks. And our faithful offerings are what lasts for eternity. Everyone always wants to talk about legacy and we want to like leave a, a mark on the planet. But the reality is, is in a hundred years, no one's going to remember our names. In a hundred years, whatever money we've saved and passed on to our kids will be long gone. A hundred years. That's, that's not very long from now. A hundred years, it's over. However, what we do in faith actually matters for all of eternity. What you do with your time, what you do with your treasure, what you do with your talents. And the best part is it doesn't even have to be seen. All of the unseen, hidden ways that we love God and serve him, that moves the kingdom of God along. We're here because people have done that for us and it's our turn to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time in prayer and this prayer is going to have two parts just so you know where we're going. We're going to spend a little time allowing a little bit of space for God to search our hearts, to actually be willing to examine our hearts and see our own sin, our own rebellion, our own waywardness, and to not, but with, with joy, recognize we are forgiven people. And so to make space for us to confess our sins so that God who's faithful and just will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we get to start the morning together in the same place, offering our entire lives to God. So that's gonna be our little two-part prayer, okay? So let's close our eyes and let's make a little space and we'll pray. Gracious God, we are so indebted to your grace, to your overwhelming love, your overwhelming patience. We recognize that you are a holy God who is worthy of all worship, of worship that is excellent, that is our first fruits, that is all of who we are. And you, we recognize that we are called to live a life in re response and reflection of who you are. But many of us have brought offerings or bringing lives that are broken. And, and so we just wanna bring our hidden self to you, God. So we open up our hearts to you, God, and we say to search us and test us, reveal any offensive way in us so we can experience your forgiveness and grace. Like Jeff said, because we're people of the book, we know what is true and we know what is true is that because of your son, Jesus, because of his death on the cross, the stain of our sin has been washed clean and we are forgiven people. We are restored people. We don't have to earn back our good graces. We get to sit on your lap. We get to be at the front of the race. We get 
to be the head of the table. Whatever the metaphor, we are in your arms, in your affection because of your grace and mercy. And so, Lord, we long to be people who live out of that love. And so, Lord, we pray that we'd be people who would worship you, who would love you, who would offer our entire lives to your kingdom, to eternal things. Keep our eyes fixed on you and may all the things that we do, all the people that we serve, especially all the hidden things, get to be our secret joy between us and you, knowing that we are moving along the kingdom of God. We are writing our verse of this incredible symphony. And we pray that all this would be for your glory. And Lord, as we wrap up our time this morning, we long to worship you and we long to sing and to express our joy and affection towards you. And so we pray that you would use these words, that they wouldn't just be words that we sing with our mouth, but they would be words that would be the prayers of our heart. And whether it's 100% leaning in, that is exactly where we're at, or man, that is the way that we want to be. Use this time of worship as us bringing our best self to give you the honor and glory that you deserve. We love you. And all of God's kids said, amen. Let's stand together and let us worship our gracious God together.